CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world, all on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Happy Monday, Hash fam. You're watching The Hash. I'm Jen Sanasi, and I'm joined by Zach Seward, Will Foxley, and Wendy O to kick this week off. Zach, you got our first story. What do you got? I do. The NFTs, they keep on coming with some interesting big name partnerships. We're going to start here with eBay. They have tapped one of, which started as a Tezos marketplace for NFTs. They've also integrated with Polygon. They are powering the eBay marketplace for digital collectibles. eBay, of course, been around for a while. They sell IRL collectibles, collectibles in the meat space, all sorts of funny tchotchkes. I was just looking at the website right now. There's so many funny tchotchkes. So they're extending that into the digital realm with a tie-up with one of. So that's item number one. Item number two, different approach. Very interesting one from GameStop here. GameStop rolled out its uh, NFT wallet in partnership with Immutable X, which is a layer two scaling platform. So we have a couple of big name NFT plays that are hitting the markets today and a lot of uh, interesting developments. Perhaps the NFTs won't be correlated with global macro assets. Perhaps in-game skins for say, I don't know, Rocket League, have no correlation to the price of oil and other big grown-up fancy things. And maybe that means that NFTs will survive this bear market. And we're seeing some big name brand activations suggest that that may be the case. The GameStop one, I think is interesting. It's a self-custodial thing that is just basically like a wallet, right? It's sort of the foundational piece of what this could be. You're getting to look at it now on your screen. And anyway, there's interesting things to be discussed here. So I'm going to toss it straight down to Will for his initial thoughts on GameStop and or eBay. Both pretty big news. I think you're right there, right? NFTs have lived far longer than I thought were going to live. And I guess this bull market also lived a lot longer than I thought it was going to live. So that might just be the reason why there. But NFTs seem to also be taking on a life of their own outside of crypto uh, in a way that ICOs and DeFi and other things have not been able to do. Those things basically are correlated to the larger macro picture. Once it, it dipped a little bit, investors ran as sidelines, they cashed out into stable coins and took their money somewhere else. But NFTs have continued to have volume. I think we've had some data on here from Nansen, which is a data provider for the Ethereum system. Should the volumes have actually stayed pretty solid for NFTs to the, the doubts of a lot of naysayers uh, who are looking at NFTs and be like, these are still just JPEGs. Why do you care about them? But people do care about them and the volumes show that. 
And if we see like more integrations, especially it's corporate integrations that take so long to finish, then NFTs could have a better like baseline to operate off of uh, than we've seen with these other coins in the past, which have often dipped like 90, 95% and never seen daylight again. Jen, I want to get your take though. Well, I read this story and I thought, wallet wars. And so GameStop is really interesting, right? Because they went from traditional brick and mortar game store and they have really embraced trying to bring gamers into the future of what gaming can look like. And now it's a self-custodial wallet. I think that's a really interesting piece to addressing some of the gamers' concerns, right? Some of the uh, narrative we heard in the media is that gamers don't really understand what the difference is between having an in-game asset like you can now and then having an NFT that you can own and potentially trade and sell. And I think some education around a wallet might help address that. I do still wonder about GameStop launching this marketplace during the bear market, right? Coinbase's marketplace kind of launched with a little bit of, um, with well, actually a little bit of nothing, right? We didn't really hear much about the Coinbase marketplace launch after it launched. There's been nothing really in the headlines. And so that paired with this gaming narrative, I'm really interested to see what happens next for the GameStop marketplace, but hopefully we can get some gamers on board. And Zach, before I toss it off to you, I have one comment about, about the Sports Illustrated NFT. Why don't we have an NFT of those four Sports Illustrated swimsuit covers? I don't understand why that hasn't been done yet. One of Sports Illustrated, please. We had Mae Musk on the cover, Elon Musk's mom, Kim Kardashian. Um, I have the other two. I need to mention them now, so I'm sorry. Yumi Nu, plus size model, and Ciara. Amazing. I think that would do so much better than a Wayne Gretzky NFT. And I'm sure people are going to come at me in the comments, but whatever. Zach. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen, I mean, have you seen vintage Wayne's flow? All right. We're talking about some serious okay. lettuce. All right. We got the blonde flow. Don't hockey. discount the lettuce. It's a, a beaut. Anyway, so I just wanted to do a quick fact check of myself. Uh, so GameStop did partner with Immutable X to get their uh, marketplace off the ground, but they have also used LoopRing technology. So the interesting thing about the layer two that they're employing here is that LoopRing, it's one of these speedier, faster things that makes it so you can avoid some of these staggering transaction fees on the Ethereum mainnet. And that's, you know, showcased prominently on the landing page, right? I don't know when this data was pulled from, but they say that the average Ethereum transaction when they pulled it was something like $65 compared to the average loop ring transaction of 75 cents. So clearly when we're talking about these layer two plays, it's about making these transactions accessible at a price point that makes sense for most people, right? So typically the sticker shock when you open your MetaMask and say, hey, I want to send five bucks, but it's going to cost me 25 bucks to do it. That's dumb. So that's why I think, you know, you're seeing these big names, be it eBay, be it GameStop, partner with proof of stake chains or faster, speedier L2s rather than going with some of the incumbents. But I got to get Wendy Owen here for the last thought. Quick thought before we talk about my exciting story that directly relates to NFTs. First off with GameStop, I think it's actually very amazing that they're able to rebrand and kind of do this in the right way, because let's face it, Blockbuster had the option to rebrand to something similar like Netflix, but they didn't and Blockbuster is no longer here. And as far as eBay goes for collectibles, I was an eBay seller. That is how I paid for community college. I used to flip used vintage designer goods, buy them at the thrift store, sell on eBay. I think that eBay and NFT, that, that type of partnership, that type of integration, is the right play for eBay to sustain. And I don't think any other secondary market can directly compete with eBay on a global scale. That's just my personal opinion. 
I love that. And then, yeah. Are you ready? Let's talk about charity. So this article over here, I love charity. I love nonprofits. So NFTs empowering artists and charities to embrace the digital movement. And we all know that charities and nonprofits are kind of going into the NFT space because I feel like it's a very, very easy on-ramp. And in the last six months, communities have launched NFTs to raise support for causes like testicular cancer, human trafficking, the war in Ukraine, et cetera. Also too, back when we're kind of talking about NFTs and trends and whatnot, back in 2000s, early 2000s, and I know Zach can, will remember this. Do you remember the live strong bracelets that everybody wore, those yellow ones? And I'm dating myself oh, here. Oh my gosh. Oh, but you remember those, big right? Time. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Yeah. I remember them. Well, do you remember them? I do remember them. Everyone had like Aww. six on their arms. It was like a trend, a but deal. we were still kind of giving back. But also too, when you're invest or when you want to buy an NFT project that is for charity, if they are a 501c3, you can potentially write that off. Make sure you check that with your tax specialist. But I guess I want to hand this over to Jen. What are your thoughts on NFTs for charities? Do you think that this is a good way that charities can kind of get more exposure on a global scale? I do think that, yes. And I think that when it comes to charity and NFTs, there is now a way for people who are passionate about similar causes to really actually be engaged in a community. And I think that it's different and more engaging than it was before if we look at how these communities have come together previously, right? It's like maybe you get a direct mailer letter in the mail and then you have to meet physically with people or maybe there's a Facebook group. But I feel like NFTs are offering these communities a little bit more. And I wanted to talk about, so I support a charity through NFTs. I'm part of the, well, well, I have a Women Rise NFT. And the reason why I decided to purchase that and be involved in the community is because I'm passionate about education for women. And when you look at the milestones on the map of this project, it's so different than milestones on other NFT project maps. It's like, if we get to 70 75% of the collection sold, we're going to donate to the Malala Foundation. If we hit this milestone, we're going to contribute to different organizations. And everyone in the community then gets to talk about that, make recommendations on how we want to spend the money further, and engage with people who probably we weren't going to engage with otherwise. And so I love it. I do think, though, that there is a barrier still for artists when it comes to the technology, when it comes to the amount of money for setting up a collection like this. And so I think that there could be more education and maybe more funding for projects like this so that people can really experience what I've just said. But Zach, what do you think? All right. Since we're doing like personal story hour, shout out to Wendy O. Uh, back in my day, <laughs> I used to work in public radio, right? Uh, NPR. And there we'd have the pledge drive, right? We go, you we get our voice? headphones on, get in front of a mic and we tell hey, you know, Seward. support your local public radio station, you know, blah, 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 blah. And oh yeah, if you donate at a certain level, you can get this mug or you can get this tote bag or you right. get this XYZ, right? And so for a certain subset of the population that is particularly crypto savvy at this point in time, and again, that may be a bigger slice of the pie further down the road, I think these things make perfect sense exactly for that reason, right? You don't really care about the mug, but it's cool to have the mug that shows that you support WHYY. Shout out to WHYY. It's cool to have the tote bag that says you support WXXI. Shout out to WXXI in Rochester, New York. But these things can be similar, right? NFTs are similar. They're similarly displayed that say, hey, I'm part of this yes. community. I care about this community and I want to be able to showcase it on my digital platform of choice. And so I think it makes a ton of sense for charities to be exploring this as a potential means of, you know, just that little tiny incentive. You know, you want to do it already, but that tiny incentive to get the check in the mail 
or the Ethereum cent in this instance. I think it's something a lot of charities should be considering. But I'll toss it to Will for his thoughts. Yeah, well, Give actually, I have a first. question for Will on this. Question for everybody this. So we know that some charities can be a little bit shady. But do you think with smart contracts and NFTs that that can kind of help streamline the process to where we know exactly where the money is going? Because if you set it up via smart contracts and you have that, if X amount is hit, you know, 20% or 10%, 5% of those royalties or sales go directly to that charity, to that wallet address? I think yes is the short answer. The long answer is it also depends on like how humans are going to use these things because I can move it to Tornado Cash and I can get get it out that way or I can just like use the funds poorly in the first place. And I, I think like, yes, you can use smart contracts, you know, a wallet is associated with this person or with this company or this firm or this charity. And that's a really transparent tool in the way that we haven't had before. But you still have to rely on the meat space and humans are going to do what humans do. So sort of depends. I think on just like a tech level, it is a better setup though. Great point. That's my only take on charities and NFTs, by the way. I got nothing else for you guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, that, was, that was a good no, note. That was a good bad. note. On that was a good note. Now we are getting into a crime time segment. Beeple's Twitter account was hacked and used to promote a crypto scam. So a fake link was shared from his account as part of a phishing attack that stole more than $70,000 worth of ETH. Now, you'll remember Beeple famously sold an NFT of his artwork every day for $69 million last year, making him this prolific figure in the crypto community. The malicious link was to a website pretending to be a raffle of Beeple's Louis Vuitton collaboration. But apparently when people clicked on the link, one ETH was drained from their wallet immediately. The internet is becoming a scary place. Will, I'm going to kick this one right down to you. Now all it takes is to click on a link and you can be losing thousands of dollars. This, this was an interesting story to me because um, in my community of friends, there have been a lot of scams happening on Instagram, but we can talk about that a little bit later. What did you think when you read this story? Well, it does say one ETH equals one raffle entry. So I don't know if you're clicking on it, you're probably going to get what you expect there. But this has been happening quite a bit, right? Where people click on things and then boom, like your hot wallet is just compromised. And that's the downside of crypto. A lot of people have found out over the last two years is if you're connected to the internet and you have assets, digital assets stored on the internet, then that means other people might have access to them too. And so there's a huge learning curve for a lot of people learning what a cold wallet is, learning how to air gap a device, learning how to move assets off of an exchange or off of MetaMask into cold storage. And unfortunately, most people learn about that after the fact, not before the fact, right? And so there's a lot of education initiatives out there trying to teach people, hey, this is how you use this. This is why you do this. This is how you protect your digital assets. Fortunately, it's going to keep happening. The rough part for this is that it was a Web2 product that got hacked that caused an accident in Web3 land. And these Web2 products, obviously, if they get hacked, that's a bummer. But no one's really losing money necessarily. But if you have an intersection of Web 2 and Web 3, then you can have people losing money because people use a trusted name, a trusted account with Twitter here, and boom, people lose digital assets because it's hooked up so succinctly. They have a check mark on the people account. People aren't thinking this is fake. Uh, people are thinking this is real. But just goes to show, like, doesn't matter. If you're using Web 3 stuff, if you're using crypto assets, you need to be security conscious first. And don't just click on links. It's going to be a bad time. Wendy, I'll throw it to you couple things I want to add here. Even in Web2 land, like I get all of these crazy text messages all throughout the day. I know my mother does as well. And if you click any one of those links, 
you can get hacked. You can get SIM swapped, all these types of things that are going to happen. So I feel like it's just an evolution process from Web 2 to Web 3. The last thing I want to add in here is when are these Web 2 platforms actually going to be held accountable? Like we see all these spam bots on Twitter all the time, regardless if it's crypto Twitter or, you know, regular Twitter. But is there going to be some sort of responsibility for these Web 2 platforms that are allowing this type of behavior? And we see it on YouTube as well. Just to add in two cents there, I'm curious to see what happens. There's been a lot of pressure from the Elon Musk takeover of Twitter to address the spam bot problem, but it's mm -hmm. a problem as time is old itself. It's actually a problem that Bitcoin fixes in a lot of ways, right? Using a proof of work mechanism causes you to spend a little money in order to send a transaction. And that means that there can be a lot of spam on the network. Like you have to pay to play. And that's the whole idea of why cryptocurrency works in a lot of ways. A lot of these Web2 products, you don't have to do that, right? You just make an account, log in. Don't even have to make an account associated with yourself. So uh, in order to change things, they really have to start from the top down. It's going to be very, very difficult to change, in my opinion. Hopefully it does change because people keep losing money. Uh, it's going to be really hard to change. Jen, I think I saw your hand go up. Yeah, I think there's impor an important differentiation to make between scam bots and then real people's accounts being hacked and used to scam people, right? And this comes back to protecting your accounts. It's like, don't use the same password for every account. Make sure you have 2FA set up. These are normal behaviors that I think we should have embraced in Web 2. And they are even so much more important as we move into Web 3, as we are interacting with more and more financial assets in different ways online to just really be aware and protect yourself. I feel like a lot of people think this is not going to happen to me. I'm not famous. I don't have a mass profile. Who is going to want to hack into my account? I don't think you should think like that. I think it is your responsibility to protect yourself and make sure that the right guidelines are put in place. But Zach, what did you think of people being hacked? I think being scammed sucks. I think that's all. Like, it's just sad when people get scammed. I mean, it's like, I could see why someone would fall for this. And it's just sad. It's sad that that's what, you know, often that's the point at which, you know, to Will's point, learning those security practices goes into effect after you've been scammed and after you feel yeah. like complete crap for you for losing money to someone who's seeking to take advantage of you, of you on the internet. So simply to whoever got hacked on that one, because it definitely sucks. All right. Who's got the last one? I think it's Will. Will, what do you got? I do. I do. I got a mining story. Keep getting relegated these. I wonder why. Let's talk about <laughs> Buffalo, New Yorker. Is this it's Niagara Falls, New York? Very close. So very close. Not that wrong. But there was an explosion at a Bitcoin mining facility, and it's uh, turned a few heads, as explosions tend to do. A lot of people in Niagara Falls are frustrated with the loud noise of Bitcoin miners in the area, and an explosion at a facility has not helped the situation out at all. Uh, the mayor of Niagara Falls, Robert Ristino, is uh, looking at implementing some changes to Bitcoin mining in the region. The purpose to sort of create a new regulatory structure so you can approve or not approve if Bitcoin miners are going to move it in the region. Bitcoin miners are going to Niagara Falls because of the cheap energy and it's also hydropowered, which looks really good for investors. Just as a disclosure, I do work for a Bitcoin mining company. So take all that with some salt. Zach, I'll throw it up to you. Pretty interesting story to see an explosion. I think the one thing that's needed to be said here in the headline or while we're talking about it rather is just the fact that the explosion was not like bitcoin miners themselves exploding but something like the power facility went wrong and there was an explosion yeah that's not fun uh i think the interesting <laughs> thing here is just like you know these are you know economic development dreams for towns that have a tough time right and niagara falls new york uh, this is not niagara falls canada you know a hot spot for for gambling and tall casinos and stuff like that this is 
across the waterfall, Niagara Falls, New York. It's pretty, pretty bleak there, pretty poor town. So I think a lot of these towns are seeing Bitcoin mining as an attractive economic development opportunity. And they're saying, okay, you know, we can shoulder these burdens and try to find these find ways to make this work for our residents. It's, it's almost akin to sort of like the natural gas fracking boom, which was big time discussion in this same geography 10 years ago, right? Okay, what are the economic, what are the, you know, what are the trade-offs that we're going to think through to ride this economic wave? So it's interesting to see these conversations sort of like play out again with another industry. There was that one flared gas site that had an explosion not too long ago, but it's pretty rare for Bitcoin mining facilities linked to whatever the power source is to have an explosion that has ramifications across a broader community. So for this to pop up, as this town is reckoning with some of the other sort of maybe smaller impacts of what this industry is going to look like in their town, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to foster some more conversation, but it does seem to be kind of a bit of a freak accident. I don't know, Will, you probably know this more than I. Do things blow up pretty often in Bitcoin mining or is this rare? No, it's pretty rare. I mean, it's just a computer, so it's just kind of humming along. What can explode is the energy source. And as the article notes, this actually happened a lot more often when Bitcoin miners weren't there, when this was just a power plant used in the region for like a lot of industrial development and for selling energy to the grid. There used to be a lot more explosions, but they've gone down dramatically just as like the power plant has not been used as often. And so like when you're burning fuel, you're burning basically an explosive of some sort. I imagine there's going to be an explosion here and there. Hopefully that is basically contained or like there's, there's insurance. Uh, it doesn't seem to have affected the Bitcoin mining operation at all. And the one you alluded to a second ago, Zach, like that explosion definitely affected some Bitcoin miners. I was up in North Dakota, I think like two months ago. But it was just a faulty pipeline from a contractor who didn't do their, their job correctly. And so that's often what happens with these cases. And just because it's associated with Bitcoin mining, you see in the headlines, I'd be curious to get some more information about like how often this hits actual energy providers that are not associated with Bitcoin mining. How often do we see explosions at like well sites or uh, energy sites like this? Uh, my understanding is like it probably a little bit more, but it's just commonplace within energy to have some mistakes here or there. Jen, I'll throw it to you. Yeah, it was interesting to read that the explosion happened on May 10th, and there's already a draft before the city planning board for new laws when it comes to Bitcoin mining in Niagara Falls. And it, just based off of everything you just said, Will, it sounds like this explosion actually had nothing to do with Bitcoin mining. But the town has really mobilized into ensuring that there are new laws now so that it is maybe harder for Bitcoin mines to set up. And so I don't know. I think that's really interesting and maybe an excuse to outlaw Bitcoin mining in New York. Wendy. Couple of things really quickly. Number one, when we look at this entire situation, who are the contractors, the facility? There is probably an issue there. If you do not spend the money and have a good electrical contractor come in and do your work, there's going to be problems. I also think it's very interesting that people are complaining about the noise when it is, in fact, is that Niagara Falls, where that big waterfall is. Isn't it very loud there in general? Niagara Falls is a big waterfall. <laughs> okay, loud. so there's that, piece can't of, confirm. <laughs> there's that piece of information there. And also, I know in L.A. County, I know it's a completely different state. It is so hard to get a license, to get a permit, to do anything anywhere. So the people in the city, I feel like it's not the townspeople. I feel like it's the actual government and the the small government that are making these decisions and have an issue with it, which is very bizarre because wouldn't you want to kind of not necessarily gentrify, I don't like that term, but wouldn't you want to improve the quality of life of your town and get some more tax dollars and some more revenue coming in? Story doesn't, isn't really sitting well with me. There's a lot of 
unknowns out there with this. Well, I think you got a CoinDesk reporter up there on the ground. Beat around yeah. the you know, to her credit, uh, Aliza was on the ground up there. She happened to be on the ground up there oh. and was able to get some, uh, some, some, some firsthand accounts of the explosion and some additional Let's local go, color. So shout out to Aliza on that one. All right. Thoughts and prayers to Niagara Fall, New York. Shout out. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Hopefully this is the last time you'll hear this ad. With Chime checking account features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and getting paid up to two days early with direct deposit, you can probably treat yourself to an ad-free upgrade to spend more time listening to your favorite podcasts or at least grab an extra latte. Take more control of your finances and say goodbye to monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com goals 24. That's chime.com goals 24. Chime. Feels like progress. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details.